fueled by the outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. All right. My my water just turned to (laughs) whiskey. See, that would have been a lot. That would have been a lot better if we'd have done that while recording. (laughs) It is recording. (laughs) Okay. All right, good. Here we go. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Gates and Chris Leppert. What's up, guys? And tonight we are joined by Aaron Satterfield of the Fueled by the Outdoors uh, field team, film team, gunsmithing, jack of all trades. How's it going, Aaron? I'm doing good. Doing good. <laughs> everybody. Good deal. Um, so we wanted to have Aaron on tonight. I know I've been saying this for like the past two to three weeks. We're going to have Aaron on here and we finally have Aaron on here. So we He's got a, a lot of guy to get. Yeah. Yeah. Busy, busy man. Busy man. That guy is a lot of hype. <laughs> <laughs> Hell of a lot of hype. I know. Oh, shit. <laughs> so um, I guess the thing we should start out with is Aaron, um, Tell us a little bit about your history with the outdoors, where you're from, and how you kind of came to be uh, affiliated. Man, um, uh, uh, Aaron Satterfield, uh, um, like you said, I'm a member of of the Elite Outdoors with you guys. I've been what I've been been pretty much together with you guys for what going on about two years now. I'd I, say I was, so. And uh, yeah, the, the funny thing about it is is uh, whenever Chris had reached out to me originally, uh, he had seen some of my posts that I posted on, you know, the page from hunting out West. And uh, I've been going out West for uh, the past 19 years. Uh, we go out there for mule deer, pronghorn, elk. Uh, we typically bounce back and forth between um, mule deer and elk. Uh, but we had, uh, back in, I think it was 2017 rolling into 2018. Uh, I had a pretty good stretch there. Uh, I had killed my largest elk bull elk, and then I had killed my largest, uh, white bull buck. Uh, so nice. almost a 300 inch, uh, bull elk and then uh, 160 inch plus white tails. So nice. Had- had a pretty good stretch there for a little while. So yeah, uh, you know, I, I posted, posted those, uh, that stuff up on the page and everything. Chris kind of reached out to me and, uh, knew that I was a pretty avid outdoorsman, uh, born and raised in West Virginia. Um, so I, I grew up, uh, hunting the hunting the hills of West Virginia with my family and stuff and grew up, uh, in the springtime hitting trout streams, I really miss hitting trout streams. You know, I, I love probably one of the funnest things that I enjoy doing besides hunting is picking a, picking a stream apart. Mm-hmm. So I love doing that, but yeah, other, other than that, yeah. Whenever uh, Chris asked me to come aboard, um, little did he know that I, you know, have a little bit of a background in, in gunsmithing and, you know, so uh, as he started to dive into, you know, some of, my knowledge and stuff like that, you know, kind of opened up the doors to a lot of other things. Man, uh, that was like the funniest thing ever. Cause here I'm like, man, this guy gets it done out West and gets it done here. Okay, cool. And then we started talking and I'm like, this dude 
knows a little bit about guns. Holy crap. And then, you know, I think I might have talked about it a little bit on here before. Mm. Uh, my pronghorn trip. Um, yeah. We were sighting in my gun and I went to 100 yards and shot like a quarter size group or something. And uh, I thought, oh, cool. You know, I'll be a little worse at 200, but this is going to be great. And I had a seven mil mag, Remington mag, for those that are wondering. And uh, we stepped out to 200 yards and I completely missed an entire, like, was that about a two foot by two foot piece of paper? Yeah. And so I'm like, you know, about to shit a chicken. Like, what am I, I'm leaving in a couple weeks and I can't, if I can't shoot at 200 yards, I'm screwed. And to sort of preface this, I'm breaking good shots and everything. It's, I'm fairly confident that it's the equipment, but, you know, got to kind of always leave the possibility that it's me. So he goes and he adjusts the trigger poundage. And um, I think he said something that I still don't quite get something to do with glass bedding yeah yeah glass floating a barrel or some shit i don't know yeah Yeah. glass (laughs) bed man the the trigger pull i tell you what that was a big difference uh it was we cut that bad boy in half i mean yeah you you was dealing with almost a six pound trigger pull and we got it down to two and three quarter i think it was wow Uh, i mean yeah so night, night and day difference uh it was it was breaking good and i i know chris from you know even his archery you know his competitive archery side he knows how to settle in he knows how to you know basically make a good shot you know it, it and that that carries over into it's a lot of credit yeah well <laughs> firearm shooting you know i mean so whenever whenever i watch him on a whenever i watch him on a bench and stuff you know it's it's no different than him you know settling into his uh you know his archery shot and you know letting letting the release do what it needs to do you know same same thing with a rifle trigger mm-hmm. you know so, i mean i've <laughs> he, i i see him get the surprise break on the on the triggers so it's just a I little get the different. shit scared out of me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep yeah it's not like the bow going off it and it's funny i'm a super for those of you you know you guys are close to me and everything um I'm a jumpy guy. I am what some of my friends refer to as hyper aware. And I think that's probably why I do okay with the hunting thing. I am very alert. So um, when I first learned, what's that? We got a few other words for it, but. Well, yeah. (laughs) Um, when When I first learned to set a bow off, set a release off properly, it would kind of make me flinch a little bit. It took me a little bit and uh, I got used to it, dude. When you're sitting there with a seven millimeter and you're just barely applying pressure to that trigger and trying to keep everything uniform and everything. And then it just freaking screams. It, it trips me out. And then, so to sort of, for those of you that haven't dove into this much, um, a six pound trigger it like I'm pulling on this thing for days. It seems like trying to get it to go off, you know, and you're not, you're not trying to yank on it. You're just slowly applying pressure and sort of, uh, I guess I would call pulling through the trigger and, um, all right. Yeah. And it, (laughs) it was freaking tough as hell. Like I'd be sitting there for 
eight, 10, 12 seconds trying to pull this trigger and causing target panic for myself. <laughs> so, you know, it, I need, I prefer was, a hot, what's that? It, it was because, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've seen you settle in and, you know, <laughs> everything got quiet. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. All of a sudden you come, damn it. Yeah. Oh, I get, you, you, you just got to do that mental reset. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Cancel. Just like, uh, you know, talking to our, our body, Luke, um, he learned from the school of knock, you know, John Dudley. And uh, when things aren't feeling right or your timing's off or whatever, you cancel that shot. Now in a hunting situation, generally you're not able to do that, especially with a bow. Um, you can't just let your bow down with a deer at 18 yards or something. So um, that being said, it was really bothering me. So he cut that thing in half and then I go back out there and uh, I could honestly, you could probably take another pound and I wouldn't hate it. I don't know if that's even possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, cause I always prefer a hot trigger, hot release, whatever anyways. But well, that being said, God, what a night and day difference for my shooting. And then I think the other thing that was combined with that, is that uh, you had some custom ammo that you had loaded and yep. uh, he gave that to me and sweet peppermint Jesus. I went from <laughs> missing a two foot by two foot piece of paper entirely at 200 yards to, I want to say I held about a two and a half, maybe yep. a three inch group. Yeah, um, you're, you hovered right around that um at 300 yards so that um for a guy who doesn't shoot guns a lot because let's face it uh the majority of what i'm doing for deer and stuff like that is a bow and um i don't get to take shots like that ever like when we were out hunting the pronghorn i'd look at him and be like nah that's too far and then we'd range him and it'd be like 361 and i'm like well you know, yeah, it's far, but that's, that's a lot closer than we were hoping for. So, um, but anywho, you know, just to kind of give you all an idea, Aaron is a very good, um, diagnostician and all that when it comes to firearms and, uh, it really surprised the hell out of me that he had this other little hidden skill that I didn't even know about. And then, you know, he, he comes on the team and he's telling us about this and he's talking about how he's like a graphic designer. And I'm like, dude, you're freaking amazing. You know, what a good free agent pickup this was. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, and it, it, it's one of the things, and you guys know this, but uh, you know, many, many people don't, you know, I don't advertise, you know, I'm, I'm not a, what a, whatever you want to call it, a, a registered gunsmith. Uh, you know, uh, I'm in the works of getting my federal firearms license, uh, mainly just so I can ship and receive. So mm -hmm. it doesn't have to go through, you know, an FFL to FFL transfer. Uh, so anyone who would like any work to be done, you know, I can, you know, they can simply ship it to me and I can ship it back, uh, you know, within the, the laws and regulations. So, so hoping to, hoping to get that done, but yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's, I, 
it's my passion. It really is. And, you know, and I, I think you guys see that in my work, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy, I enjoy a lot of, you know, just general gun repair. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a, I, I really like just being able to take care of the blue collar person. Uh, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of gunsmiths out, out there. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough whenever I lived out in Oklahoma for 10 years, I taught at, you know, I was brought on as an adjunct instructor, a part-time instructor at uh, Murray State College uh, School of Gunsmithing. I taught there for about three years. I did general gun repair, uh, intro to AutoCAD, intro to CNC machining. Um, but I really enjoy helping the blue-collar guy out, you know, the, the guy who has, you know, a Sears and Roebuck you know, uh, single shot, bold action, you know, 20 gauge, you know, Mm -hmm. that was down, you know, from his grandfather, you know, to where if you go out online and you look at it, I mean, I mean, literally you can, you can find those dime a dozen, you know, probably for about a hundred, $125, but you know what? It was their grandfather's, you know, to where it was something that was handed down. It means more, you know, the sentimental value, you know, of those type of firearms, I enjoy working on those type of things. I enjoy being able to, you know, take care of them, you know, and get them up to par and, and keep them in working order, you know, for people. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, that type of work. It's a lot of nickel and dime work. And unfortunately, that's why a lot of, you know, professional gunsmiths really don't want to take on that type of work because it, it can be time consuming, but, you know, there's not much money per se to be made in it Mm -hmm. you know but if you're doing it if you're doing it for the enjoyment and if you're doing it to help people out and stuff it's not about the money right you know it it really isn't you know so if if i'm able to turn someone's 22 around or 20 gauge around or something like that and get it working and find you know be able to go out and you know uh outsource you know uh, various parts or be able to uh, cross-reference a lot of a lot of it has to do with cross-referencing as well you know I mean you look at a lot of these old firearms you know some of these older firearms that are no longer around you know the, the, the Sears and Roebucks and stuff like that but you know they carried on to different you know four or five different you know brands manufacturers mm-hmm. stuff like that so you can cross-reference and find parts that that same part, you know, the extractor or the ejector is the same in, you know, three or four different models, you know, so you can, you can find, you might not be able to find the Sears and Roebuck one, but you might be able to find it in, you know, a a different brand or different manufacturer. So, you know, and that's, that's the neat thing about it. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a puzzle a lot of the times. So. Mm -hmm. Heck yeah, dude. Good deal, man. Good deal. So let's talk a little bit about everybody's favorite subject so we got some shortages in our country we got no dear god we got the toilet paper (laughs) the great toilet paper shortage of 2020 and then the The ammo ammo famine the ammo famine (laughs) ammo famine yeah on a a positive note i can wipe my ass i just can't read (laughs) well exactly i was telling aaron we uh, we're having trouble finding those Richardson 112 hats. Mm-hmm. So we got we got a hat shortage, an ammo shortage, and a TP shortage. <laughs> One covers your head, and the other two cover your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it's. 
amazing to me that, again, you see this in election years anyways to begin with, but then you throw a pandemic on top of it. Yeah. You know, it, it it's not just it's not just ammo at this uh, point either. It's gun parts. It's guns in general. It's, you know, it, regular sporting loads. Um, you, you can't you can't find 12 gauge birdshot because it's all gone. And right. whether that is because there's no brass, whether that's because or whatever, you know, you can you can watch as many videos as you want on it. I know Federal's put one out. Hornaday's put one out and basically saying the same thing like, hey, we're producing the same amount of ammo. It's just, you know, people are buying it, you know, and hoarding it. You know, But then they then they say, well, but it's it may be time for you to look at our other rounds that we have that people aren't buying like our seven millimeter and that kind of stuff. It's like, well, yeah, but there's no, there's not a gun available for that now either. So it, it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. So you know, Aaron being in that, you know, world a little bit more than Chris or I, can you kind of speak to what you experience with it or what your experience has been with that kind of stuff? Yeah, you, you, you know, you, well, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, election years are always the worst. They, they always are. You know, uh, you know the, the, the next president, whoever it is, whoever it may be, uh, there's always a concern about what their agenda is, uh, the potential of losing certain freedoms, uh, and people go into panic mode. Uh, it, it's, I mean, I've seen it for as long as I can remember that I've, that I've been, you know, kind of on this side of the industry. Uh, it's, it's always crazy. You know I mean? I, I still have, I still have friends. I still have people that are, you know, that are still wanting, you know, uh, you know, guns to be built and stuff like that. And it's good luck, good luck trying to find parts. You know, I mean, I, you know, even from a reloading standpoint, a lot of the times, you know, even, you know, let, let's take, you know, we're getting ready to roll in the turkey season. You know, I, I even thought about, I'm like, you know what, in December, I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and try to get, get ahead of the game before, you know, deer season ends, all, all the, you know, waterfowl season ends and stuff. I'm going to go and start looking at reloading components, you know, for turkey season, go and start getting it. They were gone. Oh, I, they were they were completely gone. Uh, you know, and I was telling Chris earlier, you know, I mean, literally it, you know, it's, it's to the point to where, I mean, I, I literally look at it probably about a roughly about a half dozen different websites and I set up notifications to where if anything comes in stock, you know, I, I get an email notif notification and I tell you what, I have found out the hard way that if you don't jump on it within probably the tw first 24 hours of receiving the notification, it's gone again. Oh, gee, man. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just crazy. I don't know. And unfortunately, it seems like it seems like with these last couple elections. Uh, it seems like it has been increasing, you know, I mean, it, so I don't know how long this one's going to last. Uh, I kind I'm kind of getting the feeling that it's going to last a little longer than what it typically does. Um, you know, I right, wrong and different, you know, I mean, I, I think mm -hmm. that's just, I think that's just what we're seeing right now. Yep. I mean, that's the unfortunate end of it too, is that, that it's, it's going to last longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for the, for the average sportsman, 
that goes out in the field, you know, the guy who likes to go shoot clay birds on the weekends or go to the dove field in early fall. Yeah. Most of these guys are buying their stuff who are serious. Like the serious ones are buying their stuff, you know, months beforehand and they're not even getting it. So when it comes time to actually go into the woods or whatever, you don't even know if you're going to have the stuff to be able to go through and do that at this point, you know, right. in the fall. You know, and, and, and even I, I always think of it along the lines as well, too, about new hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. I mean, what, yeah, what, what about the parents, you know, or what about the dads or the parents that are thinking about taking their kid out for the first time? And, you know, they finally decide, you know, um, a month before season starts, you know, regardless of state. Right. But they finally decide, you know what? Yeah, let's let's get, you know, our son or daughter set up with, you know, with something, you know, and they go to look for a little single shot, you know, a 410 or something like that. And they come to find out, good Lord, they're sold out. Then you then, or if you're lucky enough to even get the firearm, you go to get the ammo. Good luck. Uh, well, do you reload well that doesn't matter either so I, exactly I, yeah i mean it's 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 crazy to think that i i couldn't imagine you know uh new hunters being held up by not being able to have the resources available to be able to go t- in the field well and it's it's the other part of it is is that there's even if you do find it it costs so much more money right now Yes. Like uh, you, you try to go buy a single shot 20 gauge and that might like might cost 120 bucks, 150 bucks. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> it's not like you're lo- you're looking at two hundred dollar minimum. And on top of that, oh, you want ammo? Well, that's at a premium right now. I can sell you one box of birdshot nine and it's going to cost you 12 bucks a box right like it's god i look at that stuff and i just shake my head like i i went into the store the other day and i thought oh you know well it is it is price gouging and you go in and you look for this stuff and they have some stuff behind the counter but it's it's not great stuff stuff that you would want to use it's the stuff that yeah. nobody else really wants or yeah. it's the rounds that, for, a reason. for a reason yeah so it's i i could have had all the winchester double x 10 gauge turkey shells i wanted in my life uh the other day when i went into the store but the only person i know who even hunts with those any i don't even know that they hunt with those anymore like they, they switched over to long beards so I, <laughs> yeah i I don't know a single human being. Gauge three and a half, um, (laughs) four ounces of TSS. (laughs) Right, (laughs) it was thirty bucks. So, funny story. So, my dad's original turkey gun is a ten gauge single shot New England firearm. Oh my god! That he he paint. I believe he painted himself, and I shot my first turkey with it and blew the of it. Oh my God. I thought I broke my shoulder. Like I, I'm, I was 13 or 14 and we, we set up in the yard to try to like test shoot this thing. And he's like, it's going to kick a little. I'm like, okay, it's a little. <laughs> put me on, put me on the ground is cook kicking a little. <laughs> so wait a minute. I got to ask. You just said that you killed your first Turkey at age. What? Um, uh, 
I killed my first turkey at age 16. Oh, oh, okay. Kid, With yes. that gun? With that gun, yes. Uh, okay, so you were 16, and that is a New England firearms single shot. 10 yep. gauge, yes. 10 gauge. Age. So you killed the turkey with one shot? No. <laughs> uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I was I was a little, uh, I'm not going to lie, I was a little offended that you killed a turkey as a teenager <laughs> with one shot and refused to do that <laughs> with me as an adult male. <laughs> um, two shots and then... And a brush clearer and a brush clearer. <laughs> and then I had a turkey. <laughs> now, I will say we've been editing footage. And I think that I would like to go dove hunting with one Rick Cates. I don't know a human being who could pump a shotgun faster than Richard Cates could. Uh, I'm listening <laughs> And as the, like the sound of the shotgun isn't even done yet. Mm -hmm. And you, and you can hear, cause Luke sent me that B roll footage <laughs> of him drop back calling uh -huh. and, and he's looking around and you hear, pitch, 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 and you're like, holy shit. And I thought, man, they're on the, what would it be on the second pump? You were cocking. It was like you pulled the trigger and as you pulled the trigger, started <laughs> to pump the gun. I'm like, oh my God. But that's pretty cool. I, I can tell you. So my first three turkeys, uh, they were all Jake's. And I was a teenager. I think I was uh, 14, 15, and 16. Right? Yeah. And um, those were killed with a New England firearm single shot. 12 gauge okay three and a half and and i remember i mean i remember you from high school mm -hmm. and i remember me from high school mm -hmm. i was in some pretty good shape mm -hmm. and that gun was tough to hold on to so yep. oh i guarantee I'll it i'll i'll bow down to you if you shot a 10 gauge <laughs> how, how long were the shells do you know three and a half god. oh my god yeah dude i almost kind of want to shoot that one time and then never again. I'm sure we can arrange it. It would not. Oh, he's be... still got it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's still got it. I oh, saw it the other day when I was over at the house. And I believe Dude. he's got, I believe he's got the, uh, still has the double X, double X Winchesters Dude. that goes with it. Go get that. Good Let's Lord. take a turkey hunt in the spring. <laughs> There's a turkey at 700 yards. Um, yeah. Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong. I could be full of it here. As I, often I don't have am. enough TSS to reload that. <laughs> <laughs> 17 ounce we're shooting a one it's a punt gun it's a one pound 14 ounce boat. um with the 10 gauge do they make a four inch shell for a 10 gauge no 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 god why do i you know i wonder if i saw something like that when i was i seen this when i was a kid but i wonder if it was like another measurement and i just wasn't paying attention like dram or ounces or something i don't know um although four ounces sounds heavy but it is a 10 gauge three and a half. yeah man Lord. <laughs> dude it, it it as 
you you don't expect it like when all you shoot when you're younger is like 20 gauges or four tens or whatever and then yeah. you get a you know my dad says well we're gonna go turkey hunting i'm like okay so we go turkey hunting and we use that gun and almost takes my shoulder off <laughs> <laughs> well and and i can imagine too because a lot of i, I i'll be completely honest i man i i draw the line even at at three inch uh three inch mags uh because i tell you what there's a substantial difference even just going from two and three quarter to three inch mm-hmm. yeah and then you go from three to three and a half and that's a whole nother ball game yep and if you shoot those not in a you know a gas operated gun you know a semi-auto shotgun mm-hmm. or something like that that helps tame some of the recoil Oh. You, your shoulder is absorbing all of it. Mm-hmm. And I have no desire because a lot of the times, especially whenever you're turkey hunting, what are you doing? You're sitting down and you're leaning mm-hmm. up against a tree. Yep. Nowhere for you to go. <laughs> Where to go. You know, this is funny. My father-in-law, uh, this is one of the many chronicles of Greg. Um, <laughs> he did not, I don't know what gets through his head. The guy's shot a majority of his life and he for whatever reason did not shoulder the shotgun oh my god he oh. he put he put that gun mm, back here bi- in his bicep uh. and and i was looking and he was like look at this bruise and i'm like greg what the hell is that from and he's like i put the butt of the gun there and i'm like holy shit like you're lucky that didn't dislocate your shoulder because mm-hmm. yeah. he's shooting three and a halfs. So, I, I mean, like Aaron, you, br- you bring up a good point. I I've told this story before uh, a couple of years ago when uh, my retina went out, the doctor said like, did you get hit in the head? Like, like, did you like take a blow to the head? I'm like, no, I'm sitting there a three and a half round Turkey shell. Um, I'm sitting against a tree. And I shoot and jerk my head. And I I mean, it's going so fast. I don't know if I hit a tree or what happened, but all I know is that the doctor's like, well, what, what could it be from? I started going through stuff and I said, I shot, I've been Turkey hunting. He's like, was it a, like, was a strong shot? And I'm like, Oh, it's a a three and a half Magnum shell. And he goes, that'll probably do it. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, again, we talk about this a lot select your equipment accordingly. But if, you know, especially during this season, you know, if you got to use what you got to use, just be prepared and like practice a little bit before you're using it. Well, you know what? And I I tell you what, that, that leads directly into the other end of the spectrum Four tens Mm -hmm. and TSS. What a game changer for Turkey hunting. Uh, I, I tell you what, it's amazing what is being accomplished with four tens nowadays. Uh, not even a one ounce load, a thir- about a 13, 16th ounce load of number oh, nine. Wow. Nine halves, a dream to shoot. And I tell you what, at 40 yards, it will flat smoke a turkey. And, even, really? and I mean, that's a lot of times people are claiming those are 50 and 60 yard guns. Yeah. Yes. And yep. You're exactly right. And, and I tell you what, it, 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 Chris, you, you know, I mean, it, 
I know you haven't had a chance to get it yet, but the even the 410, you know, that we have our kids set up with, it it's amazing. I mean, it's like carrying a Nerf gun around. Yeah, it's I mean, little. It is so crazy. I mean, and you think about that, you know, public public land or, you know, yeah. I mean, just, yeah, pack packing it in. I enjoyed taking that gun out so much last year, the couple times that I did take it out, just from the, just from the fact of not having to lug around, you know, my 12 gauge, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was so nice. And especially knowing, you know, in, in some of the areas that I was hunting to where it was, you know, thicker cover, I knew that my shots were going to be probably 30 yards and in, uh, and good Lord, being able to sit down on the ground and be able to basically, you know, have, you know, prop yourself up, have, have your knees up, have it, have it posted right, you know, right up and ready. And it was like holding nothing. Yeah. Wow. And so I want to kind of take some time to educate people who don't know, because I feel like there's a little <laughs> bit of a misconception with TSS. Um, so we're all used to the turkey loads, you know, the, um, I'm drawing a blank right now, but essentially we all had the, you know, Winchester double X or whatever. Yeah. And all, all of a sudden. Yeah. The triple X is the high brass. Oh yeah. Okay. So then all of a sudden, a few years back, they came out with the long beard, the long mm-hmm. beard. Uh, has a like a resin on the shot is it that yeah. acts as a buffer mm-hmm. and that holds a stupid crazy tight pattern especially when uh equipped with you know paired with the right choke um, right so what you have with a long beard is you know out at 60 yards you're throwing a freaking hell of an amazing pattern but at 10 and 20 yards where i mean we've all called turkeys in that close and even closer um i mean you're basically shooting a little better than a slug slug yeah yeah and so it's very very easy and before you laugh people it is easy (laughs) to miss a turkey at that yardage with a 12 gauge with a winchester longbeard xr so right people get it in their head that that is exactly how TSS operates, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Correct. TSS will throw, what do you think, about a small basketball size pattern at yeah. 20 yards? One yeah. of those kids' basket, you know, the little yep. basketballs? Yep. You know, let, let's just say roughly about a, a 10-inch diameter. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 you know, and there's a lot of things that, that go into play on that, you know, uh, sure. what, what choke you're running, you know, the size yeah. of, right. You know, um, so you have that pattern that, you know, 15, 20 yards, but then when you get out and, and again, keep in mind guys, the, the whole idea behind TSS, I think is so people could shoot these smaller guns and reach out there a little bit still, uh, we decided to go go 12 gauge nutso and have a damn hornet's nest flying at their face. So um, we did. And, and when you're shooting this TSS, you know, you're shooting, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine, nine and a half shot. And those are weighing 
the same amount as like a four, five, six, whatever. So you're getting the same weight as the regular shot size that you normally use, but you're getting an insane. We counted. So uh, I was over at Aaron's and he did a hand load um, of number sevens mm-hmm. and we counted, we counted the pellets that were in this shot and you would not believe but there were 358 pellets wow in a seven shot and keep in mind this is not a magnum load and and this, this was mild that was a one and five eighths ounce load and it was a three inch right yeah yeah it was a yeah. three inch but it was only a one and five eighths ounce ounce load yeah so you can imagine if we stepped it up to one and three quarter two ounces yeah. I, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. It, you know, it's crazy. The pellet count, you know, but you look at the, the kinetic energy, you know, that, that those BBs are carrying, you know, like, like you said, you know, they might be smaller, but they're still hitting with the same authority as the larger, you know, uh, the larger pellets in, you know, different metallurgy. Yep. So, you know, so it, I mean, it's, why not run, why not run number nines or why not run a duplex load to where you get the knockdown power of the sevens, which equal basically a four or greater, uh, in lead, you know, and then you, but you got the pellet count with the nines that create, you know, the swarm, you know, and as not well. only that, the nines kind of act a little bit as a buffer too, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the, the void fillers, you know, <laughs> So, you know, uh, you know, so the, the patterning that you get out of the, you know, the sevens, whenever it starts to open up, well, guess what's coming in right behind it. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, the hornet's net. Well, I'm this, sure. Uh, this I'm is sure the way the, that, uh, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is where we all just need to raise our hand or something. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm sure the nines are actually beating it there and clearing everything out of the way. And then the sevens come in and. And yeah. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Rick. This is where like ammunition is starting to go, though, if I'm not uh, mistaken, mm-hmm. though, you're seeing a lot more stuff with like TSS or bismuth. And I know like in certain states, like they're really pushing hard for no like no lead and that kind of stuff. So guys are switching to steel. I mean, for years you had to switch over to steel if you weren't going to use uh, lead like in certain states right. out west. But now with some of these bismuth and TSS loads, you're talking like being able to still use those for waterfowl and stuff. I think in most okay. places as well. That is correct. And you're being and you're being able to reach birds that you could not reach previously. You yeah. you and and that brings oh. up two Rick out of two and three quarter inch uh, two and three quarter inch shells. Yeah, you know, so, so guys are running two and three quarter inch shells with you know nines nine and a halves tens mm-hmm. uh you know or if they even you know, even drop down to eights and sevens and in a in in a two and three quarter ounce load you know the pellet count is there and the kinetic energy is there yep. you know so it's it's a milder recoiling load you're back on target faster yeah and and i tell you it and it's hitting it's it, it's hitting the waterfowl like you know thor's hammer <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we still have to do some you know of course this timing's terrible 
with the uh you know the election year and the ammo shortage and all that but and our pandemic but uh we really need to make some duck loads with that and for for those that like are freaking out right now and you're realizing how expensive tss is which i want to say it is our our loads our turkey loads were somewhere around 450 to five dollars a shot now if you buy that in a store you can basically double that double that definitely um you're only getting like five shells in a box right right yeah yeah like you're 50 bucks 60 bucks for exactly anywhere between depending upon the you know the the gauge and the size you're anywhere between 45 to probably 60 60 bucks for for five shells yeah whenever a struggle yeah your your initial upfront cost yeah okay you know uh for for a pound you know for roughly a pound of tss you know is going to be 52 bucks you know, 50 to 55 dollars, you know, depending upon where you get it uh, there. You just got to do your homework. There's plenty. Of, there's plenty of people out there that you can that you can get it from um, suppliers. But, you know, at the at the end of it, you know, uh, you got 16 ounces, 16 ounces in a pound. You know, so if you do a one and five eighths ounce load, you can almost load exactly 10 shells, you know, in a, in a pound. So. <clears throat> Your cost, whenever you buy the hauls, whenever you buy everything else, you know, that goes into the reloading, you're literally buying them pretty much by the bag of 100, 200, you know, so you're, so whenever you break down, okay, 100 hauls, you know, brand new hauls, primed, ready to go, uh, might be anywhere 14, 18, up to 20 bucks for 100. Wow. Wow. So, you, yeah, so whenever you start breaking all of that down, you know, to cost per load, you're, you're talking pennies. I mean, literally. I mean, so you're okay. TSS, you know, the TSS, just buying the TSS is literally, it's going to be 90 to 95% of the cost. Wow. Uh, wow. Whenever you, whenever you reload it. But then whenever you calculate everything else into it, literally, you, you can like what Chris said, you can reload those for literally anywhere between four and a half, you know, four fifty to five fifty around. Wow. All, all, all the more reason again, tax returns are coming folks. Right. <laughs> um, the, cool part, the cool part with um, what I was talking about before wanting to get with Aaron and do some waterfowl loads. So not only uh, can we use a smaller shell, um, and accomplish way more. Let's be clear. If you've duck hunted and used steel, steel sucks. Um, I've shot tiny ducks with a 12 gauge, three and a half inch mag and just covered them up in that stuff. And then they're swimming and I've had to shoot two, three, four shells at the same duck at 30 yards just to get it to die. So it wouldn't dive somewhere and, you know, disappear. And uh, so my thinking is, you know, let's say that I pay $20 for a box of 25 shells and then I go pay, you know, we'll say four bucks per shell. Well, if I only have to shoot one shell at each duck, I'm probably spending about the same amount of money, but I'm extending my range. I'm 
probably going to kill more ducks because mm -hmm. uh, some people have followed me with a camera before up <clears> on a <throat> pond full of ducks. And <clears throat> I shot right in the middle of them and they like laughed at me. Basically, we're talking, what were we, 25, 30 yards, Aaron? Yeah, I, mean, never, I, yeah, yeah. I was, I was bewildered. Like I had no answer for how we didn't come away with a duck. And right. so if you have that larger pellet count and you know, you've got that weight, um, cause that's the big thing you give up a bunch of weight with that steel and, uh, you know, they might be the big steel balls, but they're just not right. It's just not doing what lead and all that, you know, TSS does. So. Yeah, and and to you know, to put things in perspective, uh, one one of our other team members, Josh Fox, uh, he's a bird killing machine, um, mm -hmm. and he he does a lot of reloading as well. You know, for the, for those of you don't who don't know him, I'm I'm sure he'll he'll be on one of the podcasts. I'm sure sooner or later. Yep. But um, he uh, he has done some testing, and he has even taken out. Um, his TSS, his hand loads of TSS and coyote hunted with them. Really? Yeah. And he has video footage of what a TSS number nines, number nines would do to a coyote. The, the penetration of those TSS number nines, and those are small BBs. So for yeah. anybody who's seen number nines, completely penetrated a coyote with complete pass throughs or they were on the opposite side of the hide. Wow. In the chest cavity. That's amazing. And I mean, th yeah. like that, that's, that's such an important part because, you know, in Kentucky, at least we've got um, like you, they just put it in this year where you can only do certain things with uh rifle. Like you can only, you can't rifle hunt. Um, I think you can rifle hunt private land at dark. Uh, which is the first year they've done it. But primarily, if you were going to hunt dark uh, at, at night in Kentucky, if it was on public land or private land, if I'm not mistaken, you could only use like uh, coyote shotgun loads. Yeah. So yeah. if you if you have a TSS load that packs the same wallop and you're not having to, you know, run through rifle, I mean, that that kind of stuff. And you can again, you can use them in the turkey woods, too. Two years ago, I I called in two coyotes that were ten yards away from me, uh, coming into a hen decoy, and I was gonna turn and shoot him. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, I got a nitro turkey loading here. I'm not gonna do anything with that on a coyote. Um, maybe at ten yards if I put it in its gut, but you know, realistically, that that's a pretty impressive thing if you're getting that type of penetration with a nine BB in a yeah. you know a mammal. <laughs> And, and I, I believe, I believe that he said that the, that the coyote was 30 to 35 yards away. Wow. wow. That's pretty so, good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, you know, I mean, on a, on a coyote body, I mean, what would that be? Probably what, 10, 12 inches of penetration. Yeah, absolutely. Every bit. In a chest cavity. That's pretty daggone impressive. Yeah. Dang. <clears throat> You know, but, uh, you know, you and hey, Rick, you bring up a good point too. Uh, you know, if, if anything, you know, with what's being able to be accomplished with TSS, check, always check your regulations, your state regulations. Yes, you beat me to I, it. I know some states uh, currently are not, they have a regulation on pellet size. 
So they they're not ta- they're not taking the TSS into account right now. So mm-hmm. they might have a limitation of mm-hmm. only six shot or or larger. So yep. take that into account. Well, and that that's a really important thing, just with reloading in general for people who are getting into this kind of stuff. Like it's all good, great, and grand if you like go out and buy the newest and hottest gun too, and you're going to hand load stuff. Make sure you're allowed to use it within your state. Like you can't use a six point five Creedmoor to hunt elk in Kentucky right now. And right. I, I know that that's a that's a gun that a lot of people rushed out and bought, and they think it's you know the best things on sliced bread, but. I believe we had a guy down here last year or two years ago that got in um, serious trouble for shooting an elk with an outfitter, if I'm not mistaken, with a six, uh, six and a half Creedmoor. And Is that Bob I, Spice? I'm not sure. Uh, I just I remember seeing the the. Uh, that they got, they got rang up on charges on it, but the, you know, we, we say this all the time. It's important to know your regs and regs just isn't like what you're hunting. It's how you're hunting and what you're hunting with. Like there's right. um, Bob Walker, uh, the guy who's on the film team. He is going to a place in Kentucky. That's a primitive weapons area. And in that primitive weapons area, I've looked at going down there, from muzzleloader a couple different times and you go and you look at the regs you're like oh i i can use this and it's like well you can use i, I don't even know if you can use a uh, inline i think you either have to use a i think you have to use a flint lock uh yeah no it's got to be open sights you have to if you're gonna you can hunt turkeys with a muzzleloading shotgun there you can hunt them with a you know, a longbow or a, you know, a compound, but I don't know that if you can hunt it with a crossbow. So it, it's really important as people get into these seasons. And again, you know, the, during the, the downtime of the year, this is stuff to go and look up because um, they're putting this stuff out there right now for you to go and look at. Yep. On, the new regs are being posted. Exactly. Kentucky just released their new fishing regs today. So, you know, there's there's plenty of this stuff to get out there and get a look at before you you make a mistake or you don't uh, follow through on something. We'll kind of switch gears a little bit, and uh, I'll get a little Eeyore on everybody. Uh oh. Do you want if me to start? Got, you want me to start first? <laughs> if you got a question, go <laughs> ahead and ask it. Yeah, you can go. Um. My deer season ended without a deer in Ohio this year. Uh, The end. end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I sat in a tree. What was that? We were both out that that evening. So I think that was Friday night. And winds got up to 20 or 30. There was still snow on the ground. I thought for sure I'd have deer moving through. And I did not have a damn thing nothing whatsoever except for a big tabby cat that walked through the creek behind me (laughs) so uh i've got one deer in the freezer so i need to fill it with fish that that's that's my next goal is uh is waiting to find uh the walleye runs or sauger or saw guy and find out which lock they're below on on the river and start filling the freezer at some point but I know that doesn't take the sting out of uh, what Chris is about to talk about. Yeah. So I went and uh, I, I was lucky enough to land a, a new farm to hunt. 
Um, it's down along the Ohio River, and it's kind of in uh, sort of you're on the brink of hill country, if you will. So um, I went Friday night and tried to set up and um, thought I could catch a, one of these mature bucks coming uh, to a corn pile that I'd set out, but I, I set up way before it, just trying to see them. You know, I'd sat near the corn pile once or twice and saw a bunch of deer, but it's just tough to get a mature deer to come into a corn pile. So I have this genius idea and I see two deer off in the distance and then nothing else. And I'm like, damn it. So I go in there Saturday morning and I want to say I sat closer to the corn pile um, because I'd got daylight pictures of this giant five pointer. Um, I called Ferdy, Ferdinand the bull. And uh, he's basically all main beams and they curved up like a bull. So I'm sitting in this tree and uh, I saw one deer from far away that morning and I'm like, well, I might've hunted this spot out, but I was saving a different spot with a different target buck for Sunday evening because it was going to be basically the coldest evening of the entire season. And I thought, you know, if I keep going in there, I'm just going to hunt this place out and burn the spot. And so I thought I'll wait, you know, nothing would be more epic than to drop a buck the last hunt of the year, you know, last possible day, whatever. So I thought I'll hunt this other farm and kind of burn it out anyway. So I go back in the evening and I just switched trees to where I'd have a more open shot. I'm sitting there and I'm getting my phone put into my little uh, B script cage and getting the lens put on and all that. And I hear something and to sort of give you all a clue, which whenever you guys go there with me, you'll find out there is like a booming population of birds and chipmunks and squirrels. Like it is so deafening that half the time when a deer comes in, I just got no clue until it's too late. Mm -hmm. Like there is no, Oh, it's 80 yards and coming or they're like 30, 40 yards. And I'm already like, well, shit, can I even grab my bow? Welcome to my world, Chris. Oh God. It is literally (laughs) like being Aaron Satterfield. So (laughs) I, uh, I hear something and I look up and it's a damn doe. And I told myself, I was like, Oh, Hey, (laughs) well, that's something you don't see every day. My daughter's home. (laughs) (laughs) We're wing buddies. We're we're doing a podcast. (laughs) I thought you were on FaceTime. (laughs) (laughs) So anywho, now that now that Aaron's daughter just ruined her life. Yeah. Um so I uh I had told myself, you know, if you get a really, really good shot on a doe and the footage is great and everything, just go ahead and fill your tag. The the odds of you killing one of your target bucks on the last two or three sits of the season are freaking astronomical, especially the one 
that I was going to hunt Sunday. Dude's been in into that little piece that I hunt maybe 10 times in the last eight or nine months. Like he doesn't come in there very much at all. So, um, and I figured, you know, I had been in that same spot over there at the farm I was hunting. And once you enter a place two, three, four times, they're going to get pretty wise to you. So I thought if you can get a good shot on a doe and the footage is real good and everything, just go ahead and take it and you'll get the meat. You can make the post and sound like everybody else. I got meat in the freezer and all that shit. So, <laughs> and I didn't want to eat a tag, you know, and uh, I, I, I also am a firm believer. Um, if you can end like a season or a shoot or whatever on a good note, on a positive note, then you can build on that. So oh, I, I, uh, I told myself, I was like, this bitch is going to get it. And well, there was another one behind her about 50 yards and she was watching me the whole damn time. So she freaked out and then they both tripped balls and ran up the hill and stood there blowing at me. And it's only hell it's five o'clock, you know, there's an hour and a half of daylight left. And so I'm like, awesome. Freaking nanny idiot on the hill over there's done ruined my evening. And I'm going to have to sit here literally for no reason for the next 90 minutes, but let's just enjoy it. It's mother nature. <laughs> so little did I know, uh, about 20 minutes, 30 minutes goes by. And again, trouble, uh, hearing things. And all of a sudden I pieced it together and there were three more does on another hillside and they're working their way right to me. And I'm like, Oh, this is happening. So I stood up, got my bow ready, got the camera on record. Everything's good to go. All they got to do is come in. I draw my bow and I shoot them. No problem. Right? Well, they get like 50 yards away and I am as downwind of them as downwind's ever going to get. I am below them. The thermals are in my, fa everything's in my favor. And for whatever reason, they just turned around and walked right up the hill. And I just sat there like dumbfounded, like what in the heck? Yeah. So I'm sitting there. And it got to be about six o'clock and there's this God awful ruckus up on the hill. And I'm like, well, that's not squirrels. Like that's clearly a deer or coyotes or something. And then I see, you know, two or three deer bust out the side and I'm like, all right, you know, hopefully a yote isn't up there chasing them or somebody's dog, the guy's dogs run loose. So I'm like, oh shit. Well then, you know, and I keep hearing running and stuff back and forth. And then all of a sudden I could just hear a parade coming right to me and one by one, each buck showed up and Jay hooked the corn pile and went right into it. And they all have like a pecking order. So the more dominant deer, even though they're yearlings and two year olds and stuff and shed bucks and all that, each one had his spot at the corn pile. And then there were a couple unfortunate ones that had to stand and wait until the other guys were done. So there were five bucks that came in and these deer are all at or under 19 yards. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So if you <laughs> want to talk about a stressful situation, it's cold as balls. 
I'm standing, which it's easier to sit and not shake with adrenaline or the weather or anything Mm. and not screw up and just make a movement because you're not paying attention or something. So I've got my bow in my hand so that I don't have to make a bunch of movement. My release is in my hand and I'm recording. So I'm sitting there and then I hear the stroll coming down the hill and I'm like, please God, let that be a shooter. I haven't seen a shooter all year. Please let this be a mature deer. Sure enough, here comes 30 and he walks literally right to me and then looks right up at me at like between 12 and 15 yards. I'm going to say I was closer to 12. Um, and I'm 21, 22 feet up, but there's no leaves or anything hiding me other than the fact that I'm in the most giant tree I've ever climbed in my life. It sucked. So (laughs) it was terrible. Um, and I've got, so at this point, you know, I recognized him and got my, uh, release arm up and my shoulders out. All I got to do is pull back. I don't have to raise my arm or clip on. Well, he's right in the center of the frame, but he looks right up at me and I'm like, dang it. And if all those other deer aren't there, I've already drawn my bow and I'm, I'm taking a straight on chest yeah. shot on mm-hmm. him for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I know that I can penetrate him well enough and get enough in there to, to probably kill him pretty quick. So um, <clears throat> if I can hit things, so out of nowhere, you know, I'm sitting there like, Oh, you know, he's seen me. It's over. He just, continues about his life and walks over to the corn pile shoes the deer away starts eating and i'm like you gotta be kidding me well that damn shed buck that came down with him i kind of forgot about him watching the other deer and all of a sudden i like see his neck break looking at me and he's just staring and stomping and i'm like listen you little douchebag don't you screw this up for me I'll freaking take a flamethrower to your family. So um, I'm like seriously getting pissed about ready to cuss out loud at the steer. So that deer starts to freak out a little bit and scatters a couple of the other deer. But for those that know, you know, truly mature whitetails, they'll freak out. But more often than not, they're like very steadfast. They will sit there like a statue and look and smell and study, listen. And that's what he did. The other deer would like get a little jumpy or whatever. And um, he just stood there looking around and uh, staying chill. And that deer finally quit looking at me and raised his tail and started to jog off the other direction. And when I noticed every other deer looking at him, I drew my bow. Well, thank God at that time, Ferdy had started to step away from that corn pile and walk behind another gigantic tree. So I'm like, this is perfect. So I finished, you know, I hadn't come to full draw by the way, but I finished drawing my bow and this deer stops behind this tree. And I'm like, Oh Jesus, this could be interesting. And he was only there for probably 20 seconds or so, something like that. 30 seconds. But I mean, that's still a, like, that's a long, long, that's a long, long, 
Like um, normally I think you have like a, what, like an eight to 10 second, you know, from the time you draw your bow to, um, you know, executing your shot. I mean, it's not very long uh, on a target. So especially a target, not behind a tree. So he comes out from behind it and I get the pin right behind his shoulder, but then I kind of noticed, and I'm a pretty aggressive hunter, but I noticed that his leg was back and he was a little quartered too, which generally tells me that he's a lot quartered too. I was like, man, I've done this before where you get one long liver, you exit the guts and you kill him, but you might not get to go get him till the next day and all that. And I just, I didn't want any part of that. I didn't want, I, there's a lot of coyotes over there. I didn't want any more heartbreak like that. Like mm-hmm. what happened to my piebald buck in Kentucky last year, 2019. <laughs> so, um, I wanted to make a good shot and watch that dude die. I wanted to get everything on camera and to kind of also, uh, give a little clue. I also had a decision to make when he looked up at me and I had all those deer looking at me. I said, all right, you can try to follow him with the camera, which means there's going to be no shortage of movement. Or you can be satisfied with the footage you got of all these bucks coming in. Ferdy walks in and looks right up at you and then walks over to the corn. And, you know, if you do that and you just leave the camera on record, you'll get the sound of the shot and everything else. And then you can pan over real quick. Or maybe he walks back in front of you. But if you spook one of these deer real bad, they're all going to vanish. And then this is your entire season. So I said, let's get something over nothing. So I just left the camera on record and didn't move it at that point. So this deer walks out and is perfectly broadside at 18 yards. And I come down on him and I release the arrow and I literally like flinch in all, like I, I just did a double take or whatever because the arrow came in super high. And I mean, I've screwed around it, you know, 15, 20 25 yards and punched the hell out of the trigger torqued the hell out of the boat did everything i could to mess the shot up and still come very close to like a one inch dot you know where i'm one and a half or two inches away yeah i missed by i don't know how many inches but this is a mature deer at 18 yards and i came in i think on the top part of the spine column spinal column Mm. and so you know i heard that loud crack and he took off and um i still thought you know well maybe i got enough and uh the arrow came out immediately and uh so you know i sat down prayed all that and um really really just did not feel good about the shot and then when i got down i looked at my broadhead i shoot a grim reaper expandable all of the blades were on there not bent anything like that and they were folded up like it was closed and just the tip was broke off and i thought "Mm, i don't know and there was blood like six and a half inches up the arrow but i don't necessarily know that that means you got in there six inches because that arrow came out pretty easily that said could have got that far but i also wonder if it's like a pressure thing where the blood just shoots out Right. up the arrow because you've busted a seal basically so um i i gave him a little bit and then decided to just try to 
skirt the area and just look and see if I could find blood or him or, you know, maybe something happened that I didn't know. And I walk up and I freak out and find him, you know, didn't find blood, didn't find him, didn't find anything. So I thought, well, let's get the hell out of here and I'll, you know, talk to somebody to come with me tomorrow. We went over the next day and found some blood, but it was so incredibly insignificant. Um, I feel absolutely terrible on multiple levels about this, but at the same rate, this is one of the few deer that I've seen wounded where I feel like very, very confident that he'll make it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still, I mean, I just, that's like no excuse or anything. Like I feel fucking terrible that I shot a deer and you know, it just, especially at that yardage, you know, if I was dicking around and shooting 50, 60, 70 yards or something, it's like, well, that's a long shot or, you know, whatever. But I just, I think, so there's one thing I forgot about. I did learn a lesson earlier and I forgot to uh, put that into practice. I've noticed that deer with their head down actually are able to drop quicker and lower mm-hmm. than deer with their head up. People don't think that. And I never did. You always wait for the deer to be feeding, but actually you want their head up. So I think he's walking down the trail. I walked on smelling me, the other deer are alert and he probably knows that something's up and his head's down. I shoot and make a bad shot and pair that with him being on edge and everything and the little bit of drop that he's able to do. And I just think that was a bad, bad storm for Chris. So, um, I did end up going out the next night and I couldn't say for sure, but I'm pretty confident that I had a big buck come in on me, but it was dark. Um, I got down to the ground and I heard the ice in the Creek explode. And I was like, Oh my God, they're all coming. Like it was, it was like, I tossed your ass off a cliff into the Creek. (laughs) Like it was loud. It's loud. It's like breaking glass. And, uh, yeah, they came, they were probably less than 15 yards and then I could hear them stomping and all that. And then they blew and took off, but that's how I basically ended my season. So, uh, very, very rough to deal with, but, um, it definitely always equate things to sports. I'll be looking at everybody else's bucks coming back from the taxidermist and other people's footage of their buck kills and everything the same way that uh i want to say maybe justin fields forced himself to watch the um the championship ceremony or or the bowl championship ceremony or whatever uh i I, that's how i'm going to look at it this year to motivate me because i mean i don't I generally just don't mess up like that on a bigger deer. And I just, you know, it's such a big target anyway. And it just really bothers me that I would mess that up, you know? So, but happens. Yeah, it does. It does happen. And it's important to remember that you don't get all of them. Like it's, it's one of those things that when Don Higgins was on here, he said, he goes, He's like, he's, I screwed oh, up a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. he, you know, yep. he, and he, he, he kills monsters. Um, yeah. and he's like, you have to, he, you're going to screw up a lot. And everyone that you talk to that is a perennially a good, you know, mature deer hunter is they've 
all had those experiences where, you know, you screw up, you learn from it and you move on. Like I said earlier this year, I shot and missed that huge deer and I learned from it. I know exactly what I need to do for next year. Now Mm -hmm. Um, it sucks when you hit an animal though. And, you know, I know this firsthand, not from deer, but from fricking turkeys. Um, I've shot birds and they've, you know, gotten up and run off and you never see that bird again. And like, the, the, that's the last thing you want is, is for a right. wounded animal running around and you want to yep. make it as quick and painless as, as possible for the animal. But at the same time, circle life, if that deer's still alive, good, great, grand. If not, the coyotes will get to them. And so will everything else down in the hills of, uh, you know, Ohio, near the Ohio place. River. Yeah, near the Ohio River somewhere. <laughs> the hills of Ohio. Or Kentucky. <laughs> or, or, Kentucky. West or West Virginia. <clears throat> or Florida. Or the, the Osseokiobi um, Swamp. <laughs> right. It definitely wasn't Florida because I was cold as shit. Um, but, I, I, yeah, it's just – it's tough because it's such a huge combination of things. I finally saw a mature deer. Um, you know, I wounded an animal. Uh, that's, you know, the first and foremost – and then the other thing is um, guy made a post on the page. Our boys, boy, Zach Kaiser said something along the lines of like 48 hours to go. Will Chris get it done? And people are commenting <laughs> on there and whatnot. And I'm like, how freaking cool would no it pressure. be? Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, how cool would it be though? If I go and kill a deer in what I call, uh, you know, this is my own lingo. Cause I feel like most people don't give a shit about soccer, but um, I called it, you know, that weekend to me was stoppage time. For mm-hmm. those that don't know what stoppage time is, that is when a soccer or football game, the regular time, the regular full 90 minutes has ended. And then they add the time that they take for injured players and, uh, you know, taking the ball out of bounds and all that. They add that time up and add it to the end of the game um, because the clock never stops. So, uh, unless it's halftime. So uh, if you score a goal in stoppage time to win the game, that is, it's like over, I mean, it's overtime. So, but I was a soccer player, so I used stoppage time. And I just thought, how cool would it be if I got footage of me killing a mature deer? Um, you know, especially this one, a five pointer, like you never see a mature five ever. I've never seen one. So I thought that would be really cool. And then, you know, when I failed at it, it was just, you know, all those things to swallow at once was just really hard. And it really, it still is. In fact, today's the best day that I've had. I mean, this is like finding out your girlfriend cheated on you or something as best I can relate it to. It's (laughs) it's not a good feeling at all, man. (laughs) I freaking hate screwing up. I hate wounding an animal. When I was a young man, if I wounded a deer, I felt bad for a little bit and then I got over it. I, I, I don't know if it was a testosterone thing or I just wasn't as present as I am now with my older age. But now, man, like I, I'm not satisfied if I don't get to watch the animal die anymore. I want to watch it die. So that way, you know, that sounds morbid, but I don't want it to run 600 yards and be pumping, pumping adrenaline in the meat and all this stuff. So um yeah it's pretty tough but i'll i'll uh shut my eeyore 
mouth now and let Aaron <laughs> talk for a little bit. Had to get that off my chest. No. So the, I, I, I think the I think the hard thing about it is is whenever you're faced with a situation like that and you don't have an answer. Yeah, well, yes. that's the you know, other because, thing. I don't know what I did. Yeah, because I, I you know, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are like, man, I, I go through a mental checklist. I mean, whenever, whenever I'm, I'm getting ready to draw back and I mean, I'm, I'm paying attention to my hand placement on my bow. I'm paying attention to my rest. And whenever I, whenever I draw back and, you know, the, the pressure on my, on my face, my anchor points, you know, okay. And from a tree stand bending at the waist and, you know, I mean, just all the 50 little checklists going through. And then whenever the shot doesn't happen the way it's supposed to happen, then it's like a, a mind, you're mind blown. Because it's mm-hmm. like, where, where did my, where did my checklist go wrong? Where, you know, it's like, what, what happened? It, it, it should have been right. You know? So, yep. It, dude, it sucks. It, it sucks. does. It's, it's, uh, I haven't felt that rough before on a deer. Like I've messed up and missed opportunities and stuff. And it, you're just like, ah, you know, whatever. But, man to screw up like that i just i've never had that and that's that's a first like that and because i've not had that on a mature deer where i shot one and didn't find it and damn yeah. man it's really tough <laughs> very tough well so, fingers crossed man that it, it provides that fuel for next season and that you're going to get out there and you know you don't gotta you don't gotta do a buzzer beater. You have a, a big buck walk in front of you the, you know, early opening on in day. the season, opening day. That's the dream, right? Just get I'm it done kill, opening day. <laughs> I'm gonna kill a damn giant on opening day of Ohio season, then come film all you guys the rest of the year. <laughs> well, in between now and then, hopefully hopefully we'll rip some lips and you know, smack some turkeys in the face. Exactly. Oh, dude, we're gonna be banging redheads all spring. <laughs> Uh, i uh i also wanted to kind of hit on um another little bit of turkey hunting stuff you know when it comes to firearms um what do you think i mean we talked about tss do you have any other recommendations for our listeners as far as what they could do to um extend their range better their pattern uh, you know, maybe make their turkey gun a little more accurate, a little lighter, stuff like that. Just little, little different tidbits for people. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, the the biggest the biggest thing that I always stress is spend the time, spend the time at the range. Um, you know, if each and every gun is different, you know, I mean, it, it's no different rifle, shotgun, you know you're going to find a recipe that it likes, you know, what might work in my shotgun might not work in yours. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, even if we're running the same chokes, the same loads, uh, you know, from a rifle standpoint, you know, I mean, if, you know, work, work up a, you know, uh, you know, a hand load for, you know, my seven mag compared to your seven mag, um, you know, there, there's so many, there's so many little variables and you, you just got to find out what it likes. Uh, what what works with it uh the the load the recipe the you know from a shotgun standpoint the choke uh you know is it you know is it cleaned uh you know there's some there's some guns that 
you know, that uh, shoot better, you know, after a fouling round, you know, so in other words, you know, the, the boar is, is dirty, you know, and it's not on a freshly cleaned boar, uh, you know, there's just so many variables, but you, you, you have to find that out. Um, you know, if, if anything, you know, start with a clean slate, uh, you know, make sure that the firearm is good in, in good working condition, uh, ready to go. It's cleaned up. Uh, there's no question. There's no questions from a mechanical standpoint and then start figuring out what it likes. You know, try different loads, try different uh, chokes, try hand loads, you know, try, try the, the various things and, and see what you get. Okay. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, I mean, Chris, any concluders? Um, I'm not going to go super deep this week. Um, and I also won't joke about what i just said um <laughs> uh honestly i'll just spin off of what i just talked about um i think so I, i'm going to tell you what i'm going to do to try to get better and i the the thing that i think that i need to do more of that i feel a little ashamed that i don't do more of is I'm going to shoot a bunch of arrows with broadheads at a target from a tree stand. Yes, I take lots of steep angled shots um, during a tournament, but that's different because mm -hmm. I'm trying to hit, you know, a bullseye that I can't see and I can take, you know, I have two minutes once I step on the stake. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't have that. You know, and with a, you know, with a deer, I mean, it's, it's 18 yards, you know, it's top pin. So you don't have to sit and think about yardage or anything, but what I need to do is, uh, figure out what I did. I need to, I have to know, I, I need, you know, I have an idea that maybe I didn't bend at the hips well, and I kind of drew not straight at the deer, but I pointed the bow downward a little bit. I think I also, or could have possibly come out of my peep being that it was very, very low light. I had seconds before uh, we got to the last legal shooting light. Um, or uh, it could have been that I crept off of my cable stops a little bit and that could cause the arrow to go high. Um, could have been all of those things plus the deer dropping. I mean, in maybe it was, but um, whatever it was, I'm going to try like hell to uh, replicate that as best I can, diagnose it and everything, and uh, just practice to make sure that that never happens again because it's like it's eating at me bad, uh, all things considered. And, uh, I'm going to do that. So I guess my closing statement would be pick an area where you failed, you know, maybe deer hunting, turkey hunting, whatever, and practice it like your life depends on it. I know I will this summer. Um, good things should happen this upcoming year for a bunch of us. And uh, 
you know, I'll even say to Rick, like we talked about, you know, last year, dude missed a turkey. Well, we've got plans to go hit the range and yep. we're going to shoot our shotguns and make yep. sure that when Rick has a turkey come into 10, 15, 20 yards, that sucker gets laid down in one shot. And the cool yep. thing is, is when you go through that, all that work and you work to better that, and then you have success. And a lot of that success is attributed to that work. God, it just tastes better. Yep. You know? Right. So right. Uh, keep working hard guys. How about you, Aaron? Yeah. You know, one, one of the things that I want to, uh, I want to let everyone know is, is I'm available uh, for any questions, anytime, you know, on, on the page. Uh, you guys know that, but I, I you know, I mean, I, I think uh, a lot of people, you know, for those who listen to this, you know, if you have any questions, you know, uh, drop a comment, uh, you know, uh, on, you know, on our YouTube page, on, on our Facebook page, uh, contact us. Um, I'm more than what, you know, more than willing to, to help anyone out, uh, with any questions that they have. So, um, you know, don't, don't be afraid to reach out. You know, I mean, we're, we're here to help. Uh, if anything, uh, one of the things that we're also, uh, leading into that, one of the other things that we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing some reloading videos. Uh, so check it out on the, on our YouTube page, uh, check those videos out when we get them, uh, loaded up. And if you have any questions, you know, reach out to us and, you know, we're more than welcome to help you out. Oh, dude, I'm so excited. So we probably should have talked about that a second. I kind of forgot while we were talking, but, um, we are going to do a complete series on how to, hand load TSS shotgun shells in your home without buying a press or, you know, yep. whatever you're going to do it with what a drill and a yep. little piece that goes on your drill and yep. all that. So it's, I mean, nice. you're talking about a super inexpensive way to get into the game and do this stuff and learn it. Um, so yeah, just to kind of build on what Aaron said, that's, that's going to be something really cool for you guys to check out. I'm excited to learn how to do it myself. So Rick. Um, so I've got three things. Uh, first as always, if you have the opportunity to take somebody out and introduce them to the outdoors, please do so through this next year, whether it's a mentorship or you're just taking somebody, uh, out fishing for the first time. Uh, yeah. Second thing um, if you live in Kentucky and you are a farmer or own a large tract of land, remember March 1st of this year, farmers can earn $10,000 in cooperative dove field programs. This is a thing ran through the state where the state will come in and as long as you allow open field access two hunters to hunt doves it's only for doves it's not for anything else um they will pay you money to allow the uh, for openings of this and it's a really great program they help you keep your land in uh intact and in a good way and it's a good way to you know pay off stuff even if you have leases too this is something you can look at doing as well um wow yeah, and follow up from last week when we were discussing uh, hunter numbers and that we feel like they went up. Uh, oh, 
Kentucky finally released uh, their harvest total for the year, and it is a top five for the state all time. Wow. Yeah. So despite it being windy, despite, uh, you know, ammo shortage and that kind of stuff, people found a way to get it done. Uh, And a lot of big deer got killed last year in Kentucky. One of one um, potentially new state record with a crossbow as well uh, taken uh, early mid season. So, you know, big deer, big deer out there uh the numbers are there if you're not finding them talk to people figure it out and remember there's plenty of public land for you to go out and search for so with that this has been fueled by the outdoors we've been your hosts rick cates and chris leppert and tonight we are joined by aaron satterfield so uh aaron thanks again for joining us thanks for having me and guys we'll talk to you later bye see you see ya And that will do it for our podcast today. Please remember to subscribe, like, review on all major podcasting platforms. We are available on Apple, Google, TuneIn, CastBox, Spotify, and all other major podcasting platforms. As always, we are available for contact at theeliteoutdoors1 at gmail.com. That is theeliteoutdoors, the number one, at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you next time.